do please keep that open on page 1080. Uh, it'd be great to follow it, and I'll be focusing on that first part of the Bible reading we had a little earlier. Let's bow our heads again. Some words from Psalm 143. Lord, make me hear your committed love, because in you I have put my trust. Show me the way to go. Make me know it. Deliver me from my enemies. In you I have taken cover. Teach me to do what pleases you, because you are my God. Show us Christ. Amen. Well, it's great to be uh, with you uh, this morning again, and it's great that Luke and Mary are here. It's, uh, just add my welcome to that of Steve's earlier. Such a wonderful privilege to be um, sharing in fellowship with you. Um, this is our first week of chapter 12. Uh, of John's Gospel. We're still in the after effects of Jesus raising to life the man Lazarus, who'd been dead for four four days. But rather than triumphantly coming to sort out our material needs, we've been discovering that Jesus is a very surprising saviour, humble, committed to going to his death for you and for me. Because of what his death achieves. We've been reminded that Jesus is our only comfort, our only hope in life and in death. Who, to quote that Heidelberg Catechism we had last week, at the cost of his own blood, has fully paid for all my sins. He has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. Our hope in life, our only hope, is this man's death, the Lord Jesus. But because this is a seriously unpopular truth, we can lose confidence in it. Or we can simply pipe down about it, hide it. Because the truth of Jesus divides. Especially the truth of the cross. Divides friendship groups, office workers, classrooms, It even divides families. It's possible that in your house, Jesus is not discussed. Certainly not the cross. Jesus divides. And it was the same in Jesus' day. As we've been learning from John's Gospel, from early days, many rejected Jesus and his message. But in particular, Israel's leadership wanted him dead. But why? They've been waiting for the Messiah. Jesus seems to have all the credentials. He seems to tick all the boxes. Why are they rejecting him? Which is a question that people can still stumble over today. When they're weighing up the Christian faith, they say, well, if he really was the Messiah, then surely his own people would have accepted him, recognized him, worshipped him. Well, John addresses that question in our reading today. But the short answer is, the cross of Jesus divides. And in our Bible reading today, we reach the end of his public ministry. And this is his final word to Israel in John. No more public speaking, no more miracles. From now on, he'll be teaching the disciples only. Which raises an important thing for us, isn't it? These words become much more important, much more weighty to us. 
What has Jesus got to say as he steps down, say, as he steps down from the pulpit for the final time? And I want to sum up his words to his listeners, firstly in this way. Come to me, love the cross. Come to me, love the cross. Jesus has willingly approached Jerusalem. He knows what the opposition is waiting for him. He's raised the temperature of expectation by raising Lazarus from the dead, seen by many witnesses. And in chapter 12, verse 2, both Jesus and Lazarus are on view, aren't they? But the leadership, as well as plotting Jesus' death, are plotting the death of Lazarus. We see that in verse 10. Why? Well, verse 11, because many are beginning to believe in Jesus. Such a strange response to solid evidence, isn't it? And later on, we'll find out why. So Jesus continues his path to the cross. He knows what he's doing. And verse 7, he accepts the anointing for burial doesn't he? Mary anoints him for burial. On Palm Sunday, rather than take advantage of the adoring crowd and starting a revolution, look at me, I'm the new king, he comes in sitting on a donkey, a very different sort of king, a peaceful king. And then as he arrives in Jerusalem, we see that he starts teaching about his death. This is all very carefully planned. Jesus is in total control. But then we have a wobble in verse 27. My heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Unlike before in John, this hour has now come. He knows he's about to die, and that's what he's saying in verse 32. He's troubled. The original language speaks of deep anguish. Deep anguish, shock, revulsion. This death is going to be truly awful. It's like the prayer in Gethsemane, isn't it? As he sweats drops of blood. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. If it is possible, Father, take this cup from me. And we know that emotion in a small way, don't we? There's something big coming up that we're anxious about, we're concerned, we, we don't really want to face it. Or just imagine how the Lord Jesus felt as he contemplated crucifixion and all the rejection that involves. He cries out to the Father on the eve of his death. And that's where he takes the sins of the world, yours and mine, to the cross. So we're to love the cross. Love it. Verse 27, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He willingly and obediently, verse 28, wants to glorify his Father's name. Hallowed be your name, he says. It's your glory that I'm interested in. And then extraordinarily, the father answers Jesus, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Beautifully revealing the intimacy of their relationship, as well as the purpose of Jesus' mission. If you're in any doubt, Jesus came to die. And later, these this voice would be great comfort to the disciples. It would bring together another piece to the jigsaw that Jesus' death is, in fact, a victory. The glorification of Jesus. Jesus' death will bring God's glory. As Mike reminded us a few months ago at the World Church um, Sunday service, glory is the essence of something. It's what it truly is. 
So the hour has come for Jesus to demonstrate what he is truly like. At the cross, we see Jesus' character, the character of God himself. And it's the same in Exodus 33, when God appears before Moses, revealing his glory, his mercy, his compassionate love. That's what his glory is all about. But in what way exactly, as Jesus goes to the cross, what way is he displaying God's glory? What does the cross achieve in that way? Why must we love the cross? Well, here I'm going to use some headings by Bruce Milne, who's written a lovely commentary, a beautiful commentary uh, on John's gospel. And we find that in, it's, um, what is it, the Bible Speaks Today series. So firstly, the cross will pass judgment on the world. That's verse 31. How does he do that? How does it do that? Surely it's Jesus being judged, isn't it? He's the one on the cross. Well, the cross exposes the sin of humankind, doesn't it? Who put Jesus on the cross? It's that parable in Mark chapter 12 where God, the vineyard owner, finally sends his own son to the vineyard to collect the fruit of the harvest. And the vineyard workers put him to death because they want the vineyard. And in verse 35, we read that Jesus is the light. And when we shine a light into the dark, the neglected garden shed, for example, we see many scuttle back into the darkness. It exposes the mess in the muck. And similarly, when the Son of God Appears on the earth, evil deeds are exposed. There's the judgment, and many scuttle away into the darkness. And John 1 says, the light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. But on the other hand, positively, others are attracted to the light. There's the other part of the judgment. The cross is dividing the world. It judges each of us. You and me. So what do you make of the cross? How precious is the cross to you? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? We're going to be sharing in the supper a little bit later. That's a wonderful question to be on our hearts as we do that. Because what we make of the cross is what we will be judged on. Not on your moral performance or indeed your religious performance but what you have made of the cross. Love the cross. Uh, secondly, Jesus' death will drive out the prince, the ruler of this world. Verse 31 again. Elsewhere in the Gospels and Jewish literature, the prince is a reference to Satan as his hold over our world. But on the cross, when it looks like Satan has triumphed, as a son of God is put to death, we actually realize it's Satan's defeat. We see glimpses, don't we, portents of this in the gospel accounts, where Jesus is casting out demons, resisting Satan's temptation in the wilderness, and on your behalf, he resists it well, being perfectly obedient, speaking the words of God, feeding on them. And soon Satan's reign of tyranny will be obliterated, his chains of guilt and condemnation are smashed, smashed at the cross. He has no hold on us because of the cross. We can read later in Revelation that the Lamb of God overcomes the dragon. 
by the blood of the Lamb. Satan is hurled down. So even today, Satan is a defeated enemy. He's retreating. He's on a short leash, waiting that final judgment. So as Jesus dies, he is enthroned king of kings, lord of lords. This is his enthronement. Love the cross. Then on the back of that, we find another achievement. Thirdly, the cross is Jesus' exaltation. I've just given you a big clue. Verse 32, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And we see from verse 33, it's about his death, of course, the manner of his death. He'll be raised up. The eyes of Jerusalem will look up at him as he dies. But also lifted up means to exalt, promote, make important. His death on the cross is a sign of his ultimate victory. The king of kings is glorified. And again, when Mike spoke on this, um, he helped us see the echo of Isaiah 6. I found that so exciting. As the prophet in that wonderful vision of the Lord in the temple sees the Lord high and lifted up. So Jesus, God in human flesh, weak and bleeding, with the eyes of Jerusalem on him, is high. He's lifted up. He has been crowned king. The cross is his throne. Love the cross. Back in verse 13, the crowd shouted, blessed is the king of Israel, wanting Jesus to be their military savior over the oppressors of Rome. But far better than that, far better than solving your immediate issues, whether it's health or finance, Jesus will be our ruler of the world forever. Because on the cross, he not only came to bring judgment, but he became savior of our sins. He came to save the world from sin. And that's our fourth title. As he dies on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. Verse 32. It's lifted up, not only to be seen by distant observers, but also symbolically his arms are spread out on the cross. And as he welcomes the world to himself, it reminds us, doesn't it, of our communion words that we sometimes say. He opened his arms upon, of love upon the cross and made for all, once for all, a perfect sacrifice for sin. When it says all in verse 32, it doesn't mean every single person ever will be saved by the act of Jesus' dying, as some people do teach. No. We've already seen that many people are rejecting Jesus. They're taking the cross and throwing it out. In their hearts, they want him dead. So no, all here actually means all without distinction. In other words, all are welcome. There's no one barred from this. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever's happened in the past, however bad you think that is, the Lord of heaven and earth, wants a worldwide harvest. He says, come to me. Come to me. You love the cross. Come to me. And his death will achieve your salvation. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And you remember the Greeks last week 
verse 20, they're signaling this worldwide reach. The world are beginning to come to Jesus. And even Jesus' enemies in verse 19 of chapter 12 proclaim the whole world's going after him. They're tearing their hair out, all their large beards. So if you're here, and you have not come to Jesus empty-handed, saying there's nothing I can offer you, if you've not come and asked him to forgive you by dying on the cross, he stands before you, arms open wide, Come to me. Come to me. And it demands a response, doesn't it? Love the cross. Love the cross. We need to get this right. In verse 34, those following and listening to Jesus get it wrong. They get the wrong end of the stick. They like Jesus. They may even love Jesus. But then they say this, we have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of God must be lifted up? Well, they know their Bibles. They know the Messiah will live forever, and they're right. But now Jesus is saying that he will be lifted up, and he will die. And the Old Testament also teaches that, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. But they won't have it. Surely the Christ, the Messiah, will rule forever, not go to his death at the hands of sinful men. And it's the same confusion when Jesus chose a donkey on Palm Sunday. It's the same confusion when the disciples in chapter 11 don't uh, confuse that Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And it's the same confusion that Peter shows in Mark chapter 8. Do you remember when he says, no, Lord, don't talk about dying. Kings rule. And God's king rules forever. They don't purposefully go to their deaths. That is exactly why he came. That is exactly what he's doing on this earth. And you need to understand that. And you need to believe it. Love the cross. You need to understand it. You need to believe it to be saved by it. And time is short. And it's short for this crowd in verse 32 as it is for us. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? That's why Jesus says in verse 35, you're going to have the light just a little bit longer. So walk in the light. Come to me. Believe in me while you have the light with you. You need to love my death. And as I said, we can love him as a king. You can love his miracles, that he's a nice guy. You can love his teaching. But if you don't love the cross, if you don't accept his death for you, then you're closing the door on him, on the true Jesus, on the life that he offers. Remember last week, there is only one door into eternity, and it's the cross of Christ. Only there at the cross are our sins dealt with, forgiven. So the The burden is off. The barrier is shifted and we can approach our holy and loving God. And plenty of people, despite talking a good game, are doing that, are slowly closing the door. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're relying on your religious achievements or those moral qualities, being nice and so on. But you don't really love the cross. 
You're kind of relying on yourself. Well, the warning is from Jesus is stark. Look at the second half of verse 35. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Verse 36, come to me and be children, sons, daughters of light. He's saying we're blind if we don't get the cross. We're blind. So he says, come, come and get light. If you have some disease which meant you were facing blindness, it's possible you want to sort out your house, make it safe and easy to use before it happened. You'd want to prepare it so you wouldn't stumble over stuff. And similarly, the judgment is coming, and Jesus is saying, you've got to get ready. Verse 36, you've got to put your trust in me while the light is here. And it's true, isn't it? As we get older, our hearts become harder. It's much harder to change our ways. We get really stuck in them. The older we get, the more stubborn I become and entrenched in my views. So it's far harder to admit that I'm a sinner and come to his throne of grace. So Jesus, who knows this, says, come, come now. Come and enjoy the light. It's a bit like having a bath. If we're dirty, just jump in. Stop delaying it. You're smelly. One day the door will close and we'll be left in the darkness and there'll be this weeping and gnashing of teeth. So please, please come. Come out of the darkness. Come and be his children of light. Love the cross. Take advantage of it. That's what we do at communion. We take it. Take advantage of his death. It's for me, Lord. Thank you. Do it and live. And of course, that will mean walking by the cross, walking the way of the cross, something that we looked at last week, verse 26. We're to live a cross-shaped life. Sacrificial lives lived for our Savior and his people. Love the cross in the way that you live. Love the cross as you interact with each other, as you come out of this Lent course, out of our Grow um, Real Change. We've got new opportunities, new sight of how we love and sacrifice ourselves for each other. I think we've run out of time. In our next section, verse 37 to 43, Jesus explains why it is that your friends and possibly your family members don't believe. Why Jesus divides. And he says, firstly, God hardens our hearts in judgment. And secondly, we harden our hearts. That's why those Isaiah quotes are there. If God is all-powerful in charge of all things, he is, of course, in charge of our hearts. And we need to trust him what he does. This is really important. It might be a stumbling block for you. So I'm quite embarrassed that we've run out of time. But this week, I'll attempt to put on a blog on the website to sort of tackle this issue. And then, or perhaps we could return to it when we come to John next year. But briefly, a little easier to grasp, we can harden our own hearts when we understand and can see the truth of the gospel. Because we know it will mean surrendering our lives to Jesus. It's a complete turnaround. And I find that hard. I don't want to do that. I want to wear the crown. It's that stubbornness again. I want to be in charge. So I shut down or I 
I think up excuses why I can reject God. Verse 42, those religious leaders who believed would not confess their faith. They believed, but they wouldn't confess it because they feared they would be thrown out of the synagogue. And we share that, don't we? We share that sin in verse 43, that they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. It's our biggest pressure. I feel it. I'm sure you feel it in the playground, in the school office, in the office block, wherever you work or whatever you're doing. Jesus divides. We pipe down. We hide it. But Jesus says, love the cross. Love it. Let's reread these final words so they're ringing our ears as we finish. Verse 44. Verse 44 in our passage. Then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. So when we look at Jesus, we see the Father. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I have not come, into the, come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just whatever the Father has told me to say. Let's pray. Love the cross. Perhaps even this morning, as we approach the Lord's table, love Jesus. Love his death. As we take the bread and the wine, we take advantage of him, of his death, and we live in his perfect freedom. Our loving Father, please help us as we reflect on these challenging words of Jesus to love your cross. Where we are blind, please help us to see your light, that we would trust you entirely, that we would honor you, that we would love the cross in the way that we follow you, loving its glory, living for you. And Lord of light, we pray that you would make us sons and daughters of light you would give us eternal life in your heavenly home. Lord, we thank you that you're merciful. We thank you that you're loving. And so we ask it in Jesus' name, the one who is lifted up for us. Amen.